welcome to Spirit of the Camino, a podcast about the unique and magical experience that is the Camino de Santiago. Join us on this adventure and discover the spirit of the Camino for yourself. Hello and welcome back to the Spirit of the Camino podcast. I'm Nick and I'm here with Wendy. And we are on day four of the Camino Nascent, which is the first part of our pilgrimage across the length of Portugal. And it's going great so far. It is, yes. I am very happy with it so far. So we've been walking this entire time in the region of the Algarve, this famous region in the south of Portugal. And so we've sort of come now to the end of the very first stage of this Camino because we've now crossed into the Alentejo, which is the, the second region that we're going to be walking in. Um, but we thought it would be interesting to go through what we've seen and experienced in the Algarve for these past few days and talk about what it's like to be on Camino in the Algarve. But before we do that, a long time ago, in a former life, you used to live in the Algarve. I suppose that's true, yes. A long, long, long time ago, uh, I lived in Lagos, which is quite a touristy town. This was when I was backpacking around Europe, um, and I ended up staying and working in a bar there for a few months. I think I was there from February or March until July, and that would have been the year 2000 or 2001. Yeah, 2001, I think. And so what were your impressions of the Algarve at that time? <laughs> um, well, I mean, yeah, Lagos attracted a lot of backpackers and it had this kind of party reputation, which really was not my thing at all. So it's kind of surprising that I ended up there. But um, yeah, I saw it as being a place where people go to go to the beach. I mean, that's really what it's the most famous for is its beaches. And uh, yeah, the nightlife, I think, is a big draw for a lot of people who choose to have their holidays on the Algarve as well. Yeah, so needless to say, our pilgrimage in the Algarve the last few days has been quite different from your party days uh, in Lagos <laughs> of 20 years ago. Yes, very different, although we did walk through a few touristy towns. Um, yeah, and that was really strange. Uh, we didn't go through Lagos, that's much further on the west, and we're very much over in the east of the Algarve. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Algarve for me has been a place of contrasts. And so it started off on the first day, walking from Tavira to Vila Real de Santo Antonio. We did pass through a lot of these towns that I thought were just awful. Um, you know, it's a bunch of high-rise apartment buildings and hotels thrown up for tourists. There's, you know, absolutely nothing traditional Portuguese about it. Although there was, well, one town in in particular that I think we both thought was pretty ugly was Monte Gordo. But there was one building, one old traditional Portuguese house that we saw right in the middle of all of these, you know, high rises. I would love to know the story behind that house because... I'm willing to bet that there was some real estate developer who tried really hard to get it knocked down and the person who lived there refused to sell. But now they're just surrounded by all of this ugly development. So, um, yeah, that first part was, was kind of strange. But then as we continued on, we saw a whole different side of the of Algarve. Yeah, so we'll get into exactly what we've seen uh, in a minute. But just to begin with, so we started in Tavira. Mm -hmm. And I'd been to Tavira before and you hadn't. Uh, so we spent a couple of days there just to sort of get acclimatized to the region before we started walking. And really the, the Camino feel began right at the very beginning. 
We arrived in Tavira, and from the train station, we were walking to our guest house, and the Church of Santiago, which is the starting point of this Camino, was just nearby off the road that we were walking on. So we decided to just go and check it out while we were on our way with our with our bags and everything. And when we got there, there was an arrow and a shell on the facade of the church. And so that straight away gave us this Camino feel. And then we could see arrows, yellow arrows painted on the ground leading away from the church to start the Camino. So we barely arrived in Tavira and we already sort of felt that there was a little bit of a Camino feel to it. Yeah, definitely. It was exciting to see the arrows. We didn't know and we still don't know if we're going to have arrows and, you know, other signage all along this route or not, but so far the signage has been quite <clears throat> quite good. And right across from the church, there was, I believe, the headquarters of a local association, a local Camino association. They had some signs in the windows in English. Uh, it wasn't open, unfortunately, because of the pandemic situation, and it said that they were accepting um, you know, inquiries by email. So we didn't get to talk to anyone from there, but there was definitely evidence that, yeah, this is a Camino and, you know, there are people who are there promoting it and taking care of it. Yeah. And we talked last time about how there is this Church of Santiago in Tavira. It's been there since at least 1270. Um, so that's, you know, that's extremely early. Tavira was reconquered by the Christians uh, from the Muslims in 1242. And so as we talked a little bit about last time, because you had these Portuguese people coming from the, the far north of Portugal, essentially were Galician people at that time, they brought the idea of the worship of Santiago uh, down to Lisbon and then down further south all the way to Tavira. Um, actually, when I was just taking a photo of the of the church during this visit, an old lady walked past and then she kind of stopped and said something in Portuguese to us like, oh, I don't want to get in your photo or something. And you replied back to her and said, oh, the photo would be beautiful with you in it too. And mm. then she you know, made this, she laughed and, and made this motion to neaten up her hair as if she was, you know, getting ready to be in the photo. Um, and so we just had a bit of a laugh about it. But then she walked past the church and when she got, was in front of the church, she stopped and she started praying outside of the church uh, because the church is in fact closed at the moment because of the pandemic. Um, but this is obviously an important place for her uh, as the Church of Santiago rather than just going into some other church, because there's another one right nearby, um, mm -hmm. that she stopped in front of the closed church and, and, and prayed in front of it uh, audibly to us uh, standing right near. Yeah. And then just behind the Church of Santiago, you have another church, which is the the main church of the town of Tavira, you would say, which was built on the, to on the same place where the mosque once stood when... Tavira was uh, ruled by the Muslims. So there was a lot of history, and we did get to visit that church and one other church that's open at the moment, and then Santiago and the other churches were closed, like you said, because of the pandemic. And then the church that you mentioned, there's also a there also there's a tombstone for seven knights of the Order of Santiago who died during the reconquest of Tavira in 1242, and the church itself was built by the Order of Santiago, you know, subsequent to that. And so again, there's this idea, this connection, and it's a real connection between the worship of Santiago, the Order of Santiago, and Tavira all the way in the south of Portugal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely that connection is there. The other thing that I thought was really funny, which connected Tavira to the Camino, was that one morning I was walking just near our guest house, and there was a cafe that was setting up, and they had a sign, and it's a sign that pilgrims who have walked on the Camino before will be very familiar with. It's for a series of meals, and the name of the company that produces them is called Paeador. Mm -hmm. And so the meals are paella and there's, I think, some pasta and maybe even pizza by the same company. And these are frozen meals. 
and you when you see this sign it's the same kind of um you know i guess they just produce these signs everywhere that they uh, sell these meals too and then so these signs can be displayed and so you know that you can get these meals at those particular establishments um, but it's something that's very common especially on the Camino Frances and especially in, in places like the Meseta where there are these small villages who where there's maybe one or two restaurants that are serving the pilgrim trade and because of the isolation of the villages and because of the area where they're in it's very difficult to get fresh food and, and to really make good meals you know out of fresh food and so this payador company comes and delivers these frozen meals and so it allows these villages to serve meals to pilgrims and so for us it's always just been something that we've associated with the Camino de Santiago mm-hmm. um, and you know we've had the vegetable paella a couple times probably I don't know, maybe four or five times when we walk the Camino Frances. So not that many times, but sometimes when you're in, yeah, maybe a village has only one restaurant and that's all they serve, then uh, it's just something you can get. And they're not amazing meals, but they're okay. They're perfectly fine. Yeah, they're not bad. And so to see this in Tavira, I thought, wow, this is a Camino town after all because we have this <laughs> payador. So it's kind of silly in a town like Tavira, which is right on the sea and they've got, you know, much greater. Uh, access to fresh produce and whatnot that they don't need to serve this payador stuff, but they they do at this one restaurant. Yeah, and I think I have even seen a payador sign in Lisbon, which obviously they're really just you know being lazy and hoping that the tourists will notice that this is frozen food. Um, no, you know, local person living in Lisbon would ever eat this stuff. Uh, but yeah, when you're on Camino, a lot of times it's the only option, and so yeah, it did kind of make a you know, help remind us that we were on the Camino. <laughs> so we started out from Tavira, and the first stage of the Camino Nascente is walking east. And so Tavira is right in the eastern part of the Algarve. Anyway, you walk east for about uh, 26 kilometers, and you get to Villa Real de Sant Antonio, which is as far east as you can go in Portugal. Mm-hmm. And then it's right, uh, well, it's actually just north of the ocean, but then the River Guadiana, which runs into the ocean at that point is the border between Portugal and Spain. And so the very southwest part of Spain uh, is just on the other side. And you can see it. You can look over and see Spain. And we've actually been walking along this river for most of the past few days after that. But that first day, it was a little bit unusual to walk east because usually when you think of the Camino de Santiago, you're walking west. Mm -hmm. If you're walking on something like the Camino Frances, or if you're walking on the Portuguese Caminos, you're usually walking north. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had to walk kind of into the sun in the morning. Like you said, we did go past some of these tourist towns and some of them were a little bit unusual. There was a really nice village that we went to. It's called Castella Velha. And it's just basically a one-street village with little cobblestones and there's whitewashed houses, which are typical kind of of the Algarve and of southern Portugal, um, with some blue trim and you know blue around the windowsills and things like that. Um, and there's an old church and an old fort there. But what's really amazing is that you're kind of up high on this outcrop and you can look down onto the coast below. And it's a magnificent view uh, to the Ria Formosa, which is a kind of estuary, a kind of lagoon, and then the actual sea beyond that. Yeah, it was really beautiful. You have these kind of sandbars with, you know, very shallow water, and there were boats out there. And yeah, it was a gorgeous view from from just behind the fortress and the church and it's just off the camino so definitely make the detour because it's only like a couple hundred meters um away but you do have to know that it's there and and make that turn off uh and it's totally worth it for the view 
The other thing that I remember about the first day is really sticking out was that in terms of the agricultural produce and, and whatnot that we saw, the big one were orange groves. Yeah. We saw a lot of orange groves, which were quite large and, you know, obviously uh, yeah, big operations. One of them was being harvested. So we saw people picking the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them had, you know, ladders that they would put up against the tree and climb their ladder and pick fruit up from the top of the tree. And of course, oranges in the Algarve are really famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Lisbon, for example, when you go to a fruit and vegetable store, they'll have oranges and they'll say that they're from the Algarve. And then you know that you're getting good oranges. It's kind of the equivalent. I think in Spain, um, they have bananas from the Canary Islands. Yeah. And the idea is that if you get a banana and it's not from the Canary Islands, it's just not even worth eating. And mm. that's, all, that's kind of the same thing with uh, oranges from the Algarve in Portugal. Uh, and so we have orange trees in Lisbon, but the oranges are no good. They're not mm-hmm. actually sweet oranges. They're, they're kind of a bit more sour. And right next to the cathedral, there are these orange trees, and then there are all these half-eaten oranges underneath them because some people, uh, tourists sometimes will pick them off and think, oh, wow, an orange, great. And then they <laughs> bite into it, and it's no good, and they just dump the rest of it. Um, the Algarve oranges is, is where it's at. And so that was that was very prominent on that first day. Yep, and we did actually have a chance to to pick a few of our own, not in a you know, a commercial orchard, but there were some wild orange trees growing along the trail as well. So you picked a few and we had those and they were very sweet. So this first day we had to get back into the kind of rhythm of the Camino, 26 kilometers. This is a decent day. Mm. And, um, so that was, you know, we weren't really, we haven't trained for it. So we weren't really in great Camino form Mm-mm. and your feet were hurting at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to, you know, go on and on about my my problem with my feet, but I had been, we hadn't been training in the sense of, you know, walking long distances or walking with our packs or anything, but I had been doing exercises every day for the past month to help with the plantar fasciitis, the problem that I have with my feet. And I was really hopeful that that was going to work and that I wasn't going to have any pain on this Camino. That has not been the case. Um, The first day was really tough, and I had a lot of pain. It seems to be getting better, though. Um, But there are a lot of factors at play. It it depends a lot on the type of surface that I'm walking on. When we're walking on the road, that really kills my feet. If we're walking on dirt, um, or even better, sand, uh, even gravel, anything but pavement, anything but concrete. Once I get onto concrete, I'm, I'm toast. Uh, and then I've also really noticed that going uphill is a lot better than going flat or downhill as well. So, yeah, I don't really know, because we know so little about this Camino, we don't know if there's going to be a lot of road walking or not. But I continue to do the exercises, and I take my portable foot bath with me, and we've had a couple of foot baths in rivers as well. So it's been mostly manageable, but the first day was really tough. Yeah, and i say overall that first day was probably pretty similar to the memories and the expectations that we had of being in the Algarve. Like you said, we passed some of these tourist towns. We went down to the beach at one point and at some other points we had this, this view of the ocean. And so that's kind of the Algarve that, that people think of or the reason that people come to the Algarve, right? Yeah, people definitely come to the Algarve for the beach. So we did experience the beach, not for that long. We're not really beach people. But yeah, we did walk down to the beach and I had a foot bath there too. I got out my foot bath and dipped it into the ocean. And um, so yeah, we had that experience. And then we 
started heading north, and we saw a very different Algarve that I would say most visitors don't see. Yeah, it's been completely different, really. And so you, we noticed that straight away, more or less, on the second day, that you head north, you head away from the ocean, and then you're in this interior part of the Algarve, and it's just completely different. It's a very dry, rocky landscape. Um, we're walking in, in late April, early May, and so the temperatures are quite nice. It's about 20 degrees Celsius, which is perfect. But I can imagine if you're walking in June, July, August, it would be absolutely baking in these places. Yeah, I bet it would be. And there's also very little water uh, in terms of uh, fountains. I think we've only seen one fountain in four days. Yeah. Uh, so we've been okay with the water that we carry, you know, filling up at the start of the day. We haven't run out, but that's because, you know, the weather's been quite nice. If it was a lot hotter, um, we'd be struggling, I think, for water in certain sections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we would probably have to go into cafes and places, you know, businesses in the places where there are businesses uh, and ask if we could fill up our water there because, yeah, I haven't seen hardly any public fountains, which we did see a lot on the Camino Portuguese, on the on the Portuguese route. Now, the water was not always drinkable. Uh, it often had a sign saying that the water hadn't been tested, so, you know, they weren't going to say one way or the other whether or not it was safe to drink. So this time I actually brought along a what's called a SteriPen, a little water sterilizer that's very small, it's easy to carry, and we travel with it a lot of times when we're traveling in developing countries where, you know, the water is not always safe to drink. So I thought it would come in really handy this time, having seen all of those fountains previously with the untested water. But yeah, we haven't seen very many fountains. So I don't know if that's uh, going to continue, if that's only something that happens in the west of Portugal, or if we'll start to see them more in the Alentejo and the other regions. So we've been walking, as we said earlier, along the River Guadiana, more or less constantly for the last two and a half days or so. Uh, the landscape is quite different from what you see down on, on the beach part of the Algarve. Uh, the funny thing is we haven't seen any orange groves at all no. since the first day. We saw them just all the time on the first day. We've seen a few wild orange trees since, but we haven't seen any orange groves at all. So, I mean, we're not that familiar with it, but uh, uh, maybe this, you know, this great orange production in the Algarve is limited to, the, to a certain section near the coast. Um, I'm not exactly sure how it works. But what we've been seeing a lot of are olive trees. These again are, or seem to be certainly to us, wild. Mm -hmm. They're not planted in any kind of uniform line or anything like that, but there's just wild olive trees just everywhere. Yeah. Um, there's no olives because it's spring and it's not autumn, so that's a little bit of a shame. Um, we're also seeing wildflowers all over the place, which, mm -hmm. is, which is really nice. Uh, and that's something that people talk about with the southern communities. You know, people talk about it with the Via della Plata, that it's quite interesting that it's it's in general a quite a brown, sort of, yeah, dry, parched kind of landscape. But then in spring, you suddenly have these flowers springing up everywhere. And it seems a little bit unusual um, that we've been seeing white, yellow, red, purple, pink flowers. Mm -hmm. So that's been really nice. Yeah, it's beautiful. And we've just had a few surprises, I guess, because like you said, we don't really know a lot about this community. There's not a lot of information available. Now that we're about to move into the Alentejo, or we've just crossed into the Alentejo, we have this guide that we mentioned last time to the stages that are in the Alentejo put together by the local government. But for the Algarve sections, we didn't have that at all. Um, but we've seen a few things that we didn't expect. We saw an old windmill. Mm -hmm. um, we, saw, uh, we saw an old windmill that had been restored and then a very ruined windmill on the Portuguese side. It was quite interesting because 
over on the Spanish side because you can see the Spanish side of the river. Um, we saw modern wind turbines. We saw over two dozen of them at one point, but there aren't any of those on the Portuguese side. Mm -hmm. But they have these two old windmills, and it is quite windy. We've been noticing that as we've been walking. And even yesterday, it was quite interesting that a couple of local people said to us very specifically, it was very windy today. And then we just said, oh, well, isn't that – we see all the wind – we see the windmills and the wind turbines, so we just thought this was like this all the time. And they said, no, it was particularly windy today. Um, so we were surprised by to see the old windmills, which was nice. Uh, we saw some Roman ruins yesterday that we had no idea about. Yeah, I think you happened to spot them on Google Maps as we were heading up to this village. You said, oh, it shows that there's an ancient Roman villa here. And we were actually certain that it was going to be closed because it was a public holiday. It was May 1st when we were going past it. Uh, but actually, the gate was wide open. There didn't seem to be any kind of ticketing. You know, you weren't, uh, there was no fee that was being charged or anything and the gate was standing open so we went in and explored a little bit i mean you know we have a, a past with ancient roman sites we actually met in rome and lived in rome and worked as tour guides so we've seen our fair share of uh ancient roman sites and this was not the most impressive one we've ever seen but it's pretty cool to stumble across it when you had no idea that it was there yeah, it was basically just foundations that were about one foot in height. And there were several buildings in the complex, I think two sets of Roman houses. But one of the buildings was a Visigothic church. And the Visigoths who ruled the Iberian Peninsula between the Romans and the coming of the Muslims. And in Portugal, it's very rare to see Visigothic remains. And so, like you said, visually, this wasn't super duper impressive. Um, but I can count on one hand, and I look for this stuff, I can count on one hand the number of uh, Visigothic remains that I've seen in Portugal. And I wasn't sure that there would be any evidence in the southern part of Portugal of, of Visigothic rule. And so I thought that was really cool. Uh, I was really happy to see that. And it just also added to the early medieval aspect of our pilgrimage, yeah, which was nice as well. Mm -hmm. Good point. Um, we spent last night, which is our last night in the Algarve, in a town called Alcuting, uh, which is really nice. It's this, you know, this sort of classic Portuguese village with whitewashed houses and orange roofs. There's a castle there. And right across, there's another village um, in Spain, which also looks similar and is also very attractive. And it's quite interesting because up to that point, you know, we'd been seeing Spain across the river, but we hadn't really seen uh, that much evidence of settlement there. No, it was mostly just kind of, you know, these barren hills, a very similar landscape to what we're walking through, and then an occasional isolated house, like out in, in the middle of the countryside. But at this point, the river was quite narrow, and so there are essentially these twin villages on either side of the river, and so that was cool, and it was actually really interesting. I was walking yesterday afternoon. And, you know, in the Portuguese village, it seems like it's, you know, it's a traditional village. There's some elderly people, you know, there's kind of cats running around and there were some old women sitting on their porch talking and, and whatnot. And then I could hear the music coming from the Spanish village on the other side of the river. And you could just kind of hear and, and look over and see that people were, you know, enjoying themselves, having some afternoon drinks, you know, maybe a younger crowd. And it was just really funny because Spain is just so like that. Even in a time, even in a village in the middle of nowhere, it's still kind of Spain. It's still it still has that vibrancy um, whereas the Portuguese village was a lot quieter I think yeah it was definitely a lot quieter it sounded like there was some open air disco or something going on over there <laughs> I don't know what it was but yeah it was dance music uh, even though it was early in the evening um, yeah it seemed a little bit out of place in this you know very quiet atmosphere that we were in on the other side so yeah and then in continuing the theme of the surprises that, that we've come across uh, we saw a piece of street art 
mm-hmm. which was a big surprise, but something that you're well um, equipped to explain, I think. Well, it's uh, a, a piece by a very well-known Portuguese artist named Bordalo Dois, and he has a series of works that he calls the Big Trash Animals. And so um, basically he yeah makes the shapes of different animals completely out of trash that he finds uh, out of, you know, old plastic containers and bottle tops and things like that that have been discarded. And so it, he's very much a environmental activist. And so it's um, art activism trying to call people's attention to the fact that, you know, we're throwing the, all of these things away, but they never really go away. You know, they're still uh, polluting our environment. And and then he makes these incredible, you know, lifelike animals out of them. And we've seen quite a few different ones. I mean, there's several in Lisbon. There's uh, the most recent one is of pelicans that's uh, right in the center of town. There's one near where we live that's a fox. And then this one was an otter, which was quite appropriate given that uh, it was right on the riverfront, right along the river. I don't know if otters live in the river, but I'm guessing maybe they do since he chose that as the animal that he was going to portray. So I had no idea that we were going to see a Bordello Deutsch in Alcutin of all places. So yeah, that was a big surprise. Yeah, it's a small village. Um, so yeah, you wouldn't have thought that that it would have been home to this very large piece of street art. And so last year on the main Communion Portuguese, I think we saw maybe three Bordello Dois. Uh, and there's one that's in Lisbon that we hadn't seen before, but it's on the outskirts of Lisbon at Parque de Nações, uh, which you pass through on the first day of the Communo from Lisbon. And it's called, uh, it's an Iberian lynx. And what was interesting about that is that it's freestanding, and it's very large, and most of them are on walls. Mm-hmm. But this otter was also freestanding, and I think those are the only two freestanding ones that we've ever seen. Yeah, I'd say that's true, yeah. And so that was interesting that it also tied us back to the Camino that we did last year when we saw this other piece and, and several of his other pieces. And today was our last day in the Algarve. We spent most of the day walking in the Algarve, and then at a certain point we crossed a stream with a little bit of difficulty because the bridge was kind of broken and uh, then there were some stepping stones and so we crossed the stream and then that brings us into the Alentejo. But the walk today was absolutely spectacular. It was, yeah. Um, I mean, I think we've talked before at some point about how the Camino is not a hike and, um, you know, not every landscape that you go through is going to be something worthy of a hike in and of itself. It might not be a place that people would go just to walk through and enjoy the scenery, but this definitely was. Uh, This was one of those days where I thought, wow, yeah, this would be an amazing hike. And it was very rugged and, you know, we felt very much like we were out in the wilderness on our own and actually it got a little bit scary at one point because we did get lost just because the path was so overgrown that we couldn't tell that there was a path there. Uh, there was good signage. There was signage both for the Camino. We had a blue and yellow shell and an arrow saying, you know, pointing us in to the right saying you need to go right here. Uh, there was also signage for a different route uh, called the GR15, 
which also goes along the Guadiana, and it's a, a long-distance hiking route in Portugal. Um, and we've been following it, more or less, I think, for the past few days. The Camino and the GR15 have been largely the same route, so we were, were familiar with those signs. And both signs were saying, yeah, turn right here, and we're looking around going, what do you mean, turn right here? Like, there's, there's nowhere to go. And so uh, then we tried to just keep going straight on the path that we had been following, but that petered out, so... Then we went back to that spot and saw, well, this grass kind of looks like it's been a bit trampled and maybe someone passed through here, but it was really tall grasses and wildflowers, like up to your knees. So we started traipsing through it and then eventually that petered out too and we had no idea where we were and ultimately we went back once again to the spot and we saw another bit of grass that also looked like, oh, well, some animal might have traipsed through here at some point. That looks just as much like a trail as the previous thing that we tried to take. And so we took that, and that was the path. And so eventually we got back on. But yeah, I was getting a little bit worried and wasn't sure what we were going to do because we didn't have mobile phone coverage. And um, yeah, we were really out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, but eventually we sort of hacked our way through and kind of created a path and and uh, got through it. But it's inter- it's been an interesting, or today was an interesting microcosm, I guess, of the entire Camino. That um, you know, it's a little bit wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know exactly what we're doing all the time, but uh, it's been really fantastic so far. Uh, we've really enjoyed walking in the Algarve, and now we have the Alentejo to look forward to, and so hopefully it continues uh, like that. Yeah, I mean, we, as we talked about in the previous episode, we do have a bit more information about the Alentejo section because the local government here has done a really good job of promoting the the two communes that are three communes, really, I guess, that run through the Alentejo. And they've produced this booklet that's available to download for free um, as a PDF. And so we have that that we can follow. Um, so, yeah, I don't think we'll have quite as many, you know, total surprises like not knowing that there are ancient Roman ruins in a, in a place that we're walking through, not knowing that ahead of time, I think we probably will, you know, have a better idea of what we're going to see. But yeah, it's still, you know, it's all a surprise in terms of what the terrain is going to be like and what the facilities are going to be like. Um, yeah, we're just kind of making it up as we go. All right, but it's working so far, so hopefully it continues. Till the next episode, bon camino. And buen camino. Thanks for listening. For more great content about the Camino de Santiago, visit our website at spiritofthecamino.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Spirit of the Camino. Buen Camino.